Uh, welcome to Prodigal Church. Lieutenant Walter Hott confessed that aliens really did land in Area 51 in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Roscoe White confessed that he was the second gunman at the JFK assassination and that Lee Harvey Oswald had taken part but had not fired any shots. Christian Sperling confessed that the famous Loch Ness monster photo that was taken was faked and Sperling's stepfather was the mastermind behind the plot. All of these confessions took place on a deathbed. There's something about confession that we feel compelled to do, particularly when we're on our deathbeds. It's like a weight being lifted off of our shoulders. It's in confession that everything is laid bare. It's one of the reasons that AA actually works, because it begins with confession. It begins by removing the projected perfection that we talked about last week. Uh, hi, I'm John, and I'm in. And so this morning, we're all going to go to an AA meeting. We're going to get real. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews 4. It'll be on your screens. Uh, and we'll camp out here the first part and then dive into some Old Testament a little bit later on. It says this. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. A couple interesting things about this passage. The author states the same truth both positively and then also negatively. Negatively, he says, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. And then positively, he states, everything is uncovered or laid bare before him to whom we must give an account. And this is a very familiar formula in the wisdom literature in the Bible. It's, it's found on almost every page of the Proverbs. It's not found in the New Testament very often, really only here. Uh, I want us to look at a couple of the Greek words in this text. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. And a couple of these Greek words in, in this passage in Hebrews 4 are ultra interesting. Number one, uh, the word is for uncovered. Everything is uncovered. The word is gumnos. And it means unclad, without clothing, naked. Naked, okay? That's what it means. The text is saying everything is in the open. Everyone's in their chonies. He sees all the flaws, every blemish, every fault, the things that we post on Instagram and the things that we don't post on Instagram, the things that we want other people to, to, to say about us, the things that we want to say about others but don't, the things that we reveal to other people, and the things that we've never revealed to anyone. It's all naked before God. It's all gumnos. And the second word is extremely interesting. In English, we, we translate it laid bare. And it's the Greek word trachelizo. It's where we get the word trachea. And it means to seize and twist the neck or throat of combatants, to bend the neck of a victim to be slain. It's a vivid term describing either the grip of a wrestler on the neck of an opponent or the, the grip of, of the neck on a sacrificial victim before their throat is slit. Everything is gumnos, everything is gumnos, naked, everything is trachelizo, laid bare. What is this word picture trying to tell us? It's absolutely not saying that God holds us by the throat and he's going to 
cut our scrawny little necks if we act up. That's not what the Bible's saying. Rather, it's a picture of our vulnerability and the vulnerability of all of our thoughts and all of our actions before God. The things that nobody knows and the things that everybody knows. The things that we hide, the things that are expressed. Everything is laid bare before God, whether we vocalize it or even show it. All of our deeds, all of our thoughts, all of our activities or inactivities, it's all vulnerable and laid bare before God. It's not about the things that we tell him or who we think we are. It's about the totality of everything that we are. It's all exposed. It's all uncovered. Hebrews 4.13 is saying this. Our lives are already confessions. Whether you actually do the work of confession or not, your life is a confession. Every aspect of it, inward, outward. Whether you confess or not, you make confessions every single day by the way you live, how you think, what you buy, what you give your energies to. We're all confessors, and the act of confession is just about being honest about what God already knows, right? It's not like we go to God in prayer and we're like, God, you know, I, I really messed up when I yelled at my wife earlier today. And God's like, you did? I did. I had no idea. Thank you for telling me, John. I appreciate that. Or I, Sarah might say something, and I think just like mean thoughts. I don't actually say it, but I think it. And then I go to God, and I say, God, I was thinking these really mean thoughts because my wife was driving me crazy. And God's like, I had no idea you were thinking that because you kept it so well, you know, so well together. Uh, I, I just thought you were praying silently or something. No, God's not surprised. It's all laid bare. Confession is a letting go of it. It's what's in the darkness comes to light. And there might be consequences to our confessions, but there's also freedom. So this morning, these are my confessions, okay? These are my confessions. I struggle with insecurity. Now, some of you are going, that's a lame confession. That, that, where's the real struggle, John? Why don't you get really honest in insecurity? Uh, and, I, and I know that that's what you, many of you are thinking. Now, before you allow yourself to go there, insecurity is at the root of many of our problems. And uh, I know it's certainly true for me. R raise your hand uh, if, if you're in this room and there's something about you that you would like to change. Okay, raise your hand. Every hand should be up. If your hand's not up, you're Jesus, okay? So everyone's hand's up. Maybe it is the shape of your nose, the hair color before you dye it. Uh, maybe it's the size of your waist. Maybe you're too tall or you're too short. Maybe you're an introvert, but you wish so badly you were an extrovert. But there is something that every single one of us would want to change about ourselves if we could. All of us have insecurities. And here are some signs that you too might struggle with this uh, with insecurity. Number one, you find it difficult to be happy for others. This is one of the, the most classic signs of an insecure person. People who aren't really happy with themselves find it really hard to be happy for someone else. If you love someone, whether that's a family member, best friend, uh, you're supposed to be and want the best for them. And 
but you're still probably going to have a hint of jealousy if they win the lottery or if they lose the weight that you've been trying to lose. Uh, there's jealous, then there's toxic. And for some of us, when we see the victories or we see the successes or we see the blessings in the lives of others, it actually makes us bitter. If you find that it upsets you when the people in your life experience blessings, it's a big flashing sign that you may have some of your own insecurities to sort out. Number two, you get majorly defensive. There's some elbows happening to, if you are married to the person sitting next to you. This is totally me if Sarah tells me I've done something wrong, okay? Majorly defensive. I become like a defense attorney, okay? We are now long, no longer in the bedroom, no longer in our living room. We are in a courtroom, and I'll do whatever I have to do to protect and defend my client. And who's my client? My client is perfect Pastor John. <laughs> it's the me I want to be. It's the me that I wish I was. And so I might say in the middle of our argument, she calls me out on something I've done wrong. Your Honor, I'd like to call perfect Pastor John to the stand. Now, perfect Pastor John, it's good to see you. Uh, you have been accused by your wife of being maliciously moody. Um, how do you plead? I, well, I would never be maliciously moody towards my wife. Uh, Perhaps I'm a tiny bit tired from serving the Lord all the, the day long and being such a wonderful husband and father. The prosecutor, Sarah, yells from across the courtroom, I object. He's not the saint he's claiming to be, Your Honor. Getting defensive is a huge sign that your mind is on your own insecurities instead of the world around you, do you bark at people and get defensive when it's unnecessary to do so? Uh, I remember you know, waking up one morning early to go to school, and I was going to get there before my sister. My sister uh, uh, was a year and a half older, and it's still dark, it's winter, so I put it in reverse, and I start backing up, and it, I, I run into my sister's car. For some reason, she decided to park right behind me, and she never does. So I'm like, why did you park there? I go into her room while she's sleeping, and I go, it's your fault that I ran into your parked car. Uh, ever have someone bump into you, or you bump into someone else? Like, why are you standing there? We, we, we bark, we, we snap, we get defensive. Perhaps you're insecure in trying to protect, protect an image that maybe even doesn't exist. Number three, you have a temper. You have a temper. Guilty. Uh, without wanting to sound too much like a shrink, the response of anger might be a subconscious way to divert attention from your own insecurities. Uh, now, as I read through that short list, there's, there's many more. If you found yourself not acknowledging yourself in any of that list, it just might be ironic. Because one of the greatest signs of insecurity is refusing to admit it. <laughs> okay? Here's how insecurity plays itself in my life. This is as honest as I can be. I have a really, really unhealthy attachment to other people's opinions about me. The thought of someone not liking me is paralyzing. 
and it affects everything I do. I, I was at Walmart a year ago, and uh, I'm, I'm getting, running errands. It's by myself. I got my cart, and I'm filling up the cart, and I'm looking at my list, checking what Sarah needs me to get. And, uh, and so then I, I, I run into this girl who's a few years younger than me in high school, and I had officiated her wedding ceremony like uh, four years before. And I hadn't seen her. Uh, they ended up splitting up. And uh, I kind of helped walk through, you know, the divorce with both of them. And uh, I hadn't seen her in a few years. And so I ran into Walmart and I was like, oh my gosh, hey, I pushed my cart aside, big bear hug. And I'm like, how are you? And she's like this, good, good. And kind of starts walking away fast. I'm like, I haven't seen you in so while, you know, like you're still doing the teaching thing. That's, that's awesome. And she goes, yeah. And she kind of starts and goes away. And I'm like, that got weird real fast. So, so then I, 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 I'm getting the rest of the groceries, and all I can think about for the next 15 minutes is this interaction I had with her. And I'm like, does she not like me? What, what, did, what did I do? Like, I just, I got that vibe. And so the, the next 10 minutes, I'm like, man, should I, should I text her? Should I call her? Like, what should I do? So then I get in line at the Walmart, and I made a deal with the Lord. I was like, God, I'm not going to reach out to her at all unless, like, you know, um, like I run into her again. Walmart's a big store. So I get in line, and <clears throat> there's only one person ahead of me. Guess who it is? It's her. So I'm right behind her, and she's getting her things on the, you know, the you know, treadmill. And, uh, <laughs> and I go, hey, uh, you know, when I saw you back in the cereal aisle, I... I, I just had this, this feeling, this vibe from you, and I may, I may have read it wrong, that, but um, do you hate me? <laughs> and she's like this. And I go, you know, I go, I, I've never said a bad thing about you. I go, I know that I'm still friends with your ex, and so I don't know if I'm guilty by association for that, but I have nothing but great feelings towards you and I, I really, you know, I really love and care about you. And I was genuinely excited to see you. And, and I go, and so if I did anything in the middle of that tumultuous part of your life, I, I'm really sorry. And she goes, pays. And I get up to pay. And I make eye contact with the cashier. <laughs> and I go, was that as weird as it felt? And he goes, it was weirder. It was so weird. It was so weird. And now he's dying to know, like, the background story um, of this whole thing. And so then I get in the car, and I'm like, man, that's, that's such a bummer. That's such a bummer. I load up the groceries. I call Sarah, and um, I tell Sarah, and I go, I should call her, huh? And she goes, no, John. No, you shouldn't. Uh, it's okay for someone not to like you. And I go, no, it's not. It's not. I, I have this insecurity about it. I, I've just, I want everyone to like me. I want everyone to think I'm a really, really great guy. I, and, and so when Sarah calls me out on my stuff, I feel attacked in a different way because I want so badly to be Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Sacrificial Love all the time. I'm not selfish. I'm selfless. I'm like Jesus. I'm not like John. And and it affects me so badly when I see the, neg the negative things in myself. And she sees it more than anybody else. 
if there was a textbook case of someone who struggled with insecurity in the Bible, uh, textbook, it would be King Saul, the first king of Israel. Uh, if you're familiar with the story, man, this guy looked the part. He was tall, which was a sign of strength and power in the ancient world. He was handsome. He was the picture-perfect portrait of what a king should look like. Look what happens even when he's pronounced king by the prophet Samuel. 1 Samuel 10 says this, Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. The tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families. And the, the Matrite family was taken, and Saul the son of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired further from the Lord, Has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, Behold, he's hiding himself by the baggage. So they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from sh his shoulders upward. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Samuel, the prophet of God, gets the people of God together, declares to the people of Israel, Ladies and gentlemen, your new king, Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. Everyone claps, and they're like, Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. And they're like, where, where's Saul? Lord, where, where's Saul? And, and God's like, he's hiding in the luggage over there. And then he's like, hi, and walks out. Long live the king. Saul's life was characterized by insecurity. And strangely enough, even the demand from the people for a king was based on their own insecurities. You see, Israel was supposed to be different. Israel was not supposed to be a monarchy. They weren't supposed to be like every other nation. God was to be their king. They were not supposed to be a democracy or a monarchy. They were supposed to be a theocracy. God was their king. God was their ruler. And then Israel said, nah, we want to be like everyone else. And God coalesced. God gave in to their demands for a king and goes, here's your king Saul hiding among the baggage. Now, the insecurity of the people led to the first monarchy in Israel. And, and I want to give one story from, the, from Saul's life that demonstrates this insecure, insecurity that he had. Now, I'm going to do a lot of reading here, okay? But I, I do think it's interesting. And if you don't, stay tight, okay? Stay, stay with me. But I, I, there were so many to choose from. So if you are struggling with insecurity, I do encourage you to read the book of 1 Samuel and look at the journey of King Saul um, and look at 1 Kings. And you'll begin to see uh, maybe yourself in some of this because the guy has countless events in his life that happened that demonstrates his insecurity. Uh, here's one story. So, 1 Samuel 15. Saul is commanded by God to go destroy the Amalekites. Destroy them. Annihilate them. Don't leave any animals. Leave nothing Destroy them. So he does, that. he does that. Saul does that as king. And that's where we pick up the story. It says this in verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned his back on me and has not carried out my commands. Samuel was distressed and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul and it was, it was, and it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel. And behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of God. But Samuel said, 
What then is this bleeding of sheep that I hear in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? If you've done what he's saying, if you've done what God wanted you to do, why do I hear all these animals bustling behind you? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said, Saul, wait and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, speak. Samuel, verse 17, is it is is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, insecure, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel. Samuel says, you were little in your own eyes. You didn't see much in yourself, yet God lifted you up. Verse 18, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the, the Malachites, fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Now he gets defensive. Right now he's making excuses. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission which God sent me and brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. What's he saying? He's saying, what? I did what you wanted. I did what God wanted. I destroyed them all. And I just took some of the best stuff so that we can give it to God. And I took the king so that I could show everybody that God's are the real deal. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just doing this uh, to bless God. Verse 22, Samuel said, has, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and subordination is as iniquity and idolatry. You think insecurity isn't a big deal? That it's not a real confession? Samuel says that it leads to rebellion, which is the same as divination, sorcery, and it leads to iniquity that's on par with idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. He says, God doesn't want your sacrifices. God never needed your sacrifices. He wants you. He wants your obedience. He wants you to listen to his voice. You've missed it, Saul. You're rejected as king. And here comes Saul's confession. Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. He's saying, I cared more about the opinions of others than I did about the opinions of God. Certainly a struggle. This is insecurity 101. And this too is one of my insecurities. Verse 27. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So his robe tore. Then Samuel says, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. Double burn. Nice work, Samuel, right? Uh, He's, he's trying to get away. Saul grabs his robe, it tears. And he goes, as you have torn my robe... God is tearing the kingdom away from you. Verse 29, also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man and he should not change. Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. One last sign of King Saul's insecurity. He begs Samuel to go with him. Uh, before the elders. See, the optics of this whole, you're rejected as king, doesn't look good. So Samuel, go with me 
before the people. Let, let me say face. It's a fascinating story because it's just the beginning of Saul's reign, and it's just the beginning of a life of insecurity. Insecurity can ruin a life. It can ruin ours as well. I want to invite Noah and the worship band up, and I'll, I'll close with this story. Uh, many years ago, there's a, a, a fable of a, of, a, of a country that had connected borders. And every, uh, every week, a man would go up to the, to the border to cross into a different country with his wheelbarrow and with a, a, his jacket and backpack on. And he had this grin as he looked at the border patrol agents. And they just knew this guy was smuggling something into the country. And so they searched him. They did whatever they could do to find out what this guy was doing. And they could never find anything. And he walked through, staring at them, smiling on his way in. And the next week, the same thing would happen. And he did this for many years. They'd search his jeans, his hats, everything. And years go by, and the officers now are retired, and they're all having dinner at a restaurant and near the border, and they see this man walk in. They go, hey, that's the wheelbarrow guy from all those years. So they go up to him, and they say, hey, dude, we're long retired, okay? You're not going to get in trouble, but we know you were smuggling something all those years. What was it? What was it? And he looks at them with, a, with holding back a laugh, like, I'm so glad you asked. And he said, wheelbarrows. <laughs> I was smuggling wheelbarrows. <laughs> it was right in front of him. His life was a confession every single day. And so is ours. Your life is a confession. Every aspect, every decision you make, every choice you make, every purchase you make, you're making a decision of who's Lord. Is it Jesus or is it you? Our lives are constant confessions. What are you confessing? Does, does your life reflect the Lordship of Jesus? If, if it became illegal in our country to be a Christian and you were put on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you. God, I pray in Jesus' name that there would be, that our lives would be our confession. God, I pray that you, we find our security in you. That God, I, that, that I don't find my security in what people think about me, that I don't find my security in a good name or a good reputation, that I find my security in Christ alone. So God, let, let John decrease. Decrease in my life, God, so that you may rise up in a new way. We thank you, God, that you're a good, good father. That you love us that you long for relationship with us and that, God, our identity is as your children. It, it, it's who I am. I'm loved by you. That's who I am. So, God, help the security we have in you to overcome the insecurities in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we declare that together?